0: Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe used his U.N. General Assembly speech to attack homosexuality. The 91-year-old diverted from his pre scripted remarks as he criticised the United Nations for attempting to impose human rights on countries.
1: We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions and beliefs. We are not
0: gays. Hello again. Welcome back to Life of Bi. A slippery history of bisexuality. I'm Elle Potter. And I'm Mary Higgins. And this episode, we're reading between the lines to find out why bisexuals are so often hidden from view. Yes, and who gets to tell their story. The answer? Politicians.
2: Yes, that was Robert Mugabe speaking at a UN assembly back in 2015.
0: 2015, Mary. 2015,
2: Elle. It's not long enough ago. No, it really (laughs) isn't. Mugabe's political career actually began in the 60s. And back then, he wasn't
0: the vocal raging homophobe he became later on in life. No, his primary ideology had always been anti-colonialist African nationalism, fighting for an independent Zimbabwe.
2: Yeah, well, believe it or not, Mugabe had been known to express those views, the anti-colonialist views, Mm. quite moderately in the 80s. But by the 90s and into the noughties, He began to view white Western powers as very immediate political enemies, not just historical ones. And
0: this is where the homophobic vitriol really started to take hold. So in 1995, the government of Zimbabwe began actively campaigning against LGBT rights. Here's Mugabe again, speaking in Harare in 1995. If we accept homosexuality as a right, as is being
1: argued by the Association of Sodomists... and
3: sexual
1: sexual perverts, what moral fiber shall our society ever have to deny organized drug addicts or even those given to bestiality the rights they might claim and allege they possess under the rubrics of individual freedom and human
0: rights?
2: See, what I want to know is who runs the Association of Sodomists and (laughs) Sexual Perverts? (laughs) Because I want to
0: meet them. I've got their number on my phone. Oh, thank you very much.
2: No, jokes aside, what he's saying is horrible. It's reprehensible. It's it's nonsense. Mm. It's also very interesting, though. We talked to Professor Mark Aprecht, who was lecturing at the University of Zimbabwe right around this time.
4: I think it was just a matter of days after I arrived in the country when the president of Zimbabwe started making his. uh, you know, over-the-top denunciations of gays and lesbians as uh, somehow a, th- a threat to national security. You know, it was like so, so extreme and it's that, uh, well, um, you know, from my earlier time in the country as a teacher at a boarding school, I was kind of aware that, uh, you know, his claims about homosexuality as a kind of European colonial artifact just seemed uh, uh, not uh, Based on evidence.
0: So Mugabe's assertion that queerness in any form is un African is based on this idea that queerness was an import from British and European colonizers during the scramble for Africa. I mean, we could go as far as saying the rape of Africa. So this idea that the British and Europeans brought homosexuality with them.
2: Yeah, so for Mugabe, it's a form of nationalism to be so homophobic. It's a way of freeing Zimbabwe from its colonial history. But
0: in fact, it's just not true at all, because it's not homosexuality that's a white Western import. It's homophobia.
2: Yeah, I mean, this shouldn't need clarifying, but queerness in Africa predates Mm colonisation, obviously. But it was the British and European Christian missionaries who introduced this
0: idea that homosexuality is a sin. And in fact, Mugabe himself grew up in a rural mission village in Zimbabwe, then known as Southern Rhodesia, where he was raised strictly Roman Catholic. Yeah, not a religion famous for its pride party. No, so so you can kind of see where those seeds were planted. So while the missionaries introduced homophobia to the people the British and European legislators wrote it into the law.
2: And British law was especially harsh on sex, criminalising, consenting, private
0: and even non-penetrative acts. These days, Britain... Really, classically likes to distance itself from this history, yeah, with David Cameron threatening to withdraw aid from African countries that persecute LGBT people.
2: Even though we, the Brits, were the first to persecute LGBT people in Africa, which is just stupid and yeah. hypocritical. So there are plenty of ways that you can contextualise Mugabe's homophobia if you feel inclined to. But Professor Aprecht had his own theories as to why Mugabe started spouting this anti homosexual bollocks in 95.
4: And so I assume, okay, well, Mugabe is trying to uh, whip up votes in this kind of cynical way. Uh, but actually, when you go out to the rural areas, you found people were, no, no, they didn't like it at all. He was losing votes. Mm. Said, so, No, 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 no. First of all, he's wrong. <laughs> we had, This was always there. And second of all, we don't talk about it. So him being up there talking about it is really embarrassing to us. So in an ironic way, there was a kind of a live and let live and uh, more um, justice in the sense that people could have sexual choices without being named and punished Mm -hmm. in the past, which has kind of lost over time with the effect of Christianity and and other parts of Africa, more dogmatic uh, Islam.
2: So what Aprecht discovers is that many Zimbabweans resent Mugabe's queer-hating diatribe, but not necessarily on moral grounds, more because they prefer it was kept secret. Or even
0: less active than that. They just prefer it was simply ignored. Yeah, and there's a degree of freedom in that. But queerness wasn't always so hidden. Pre colonial African history features some very visible queers. Here's Christian Douaio. We got in contact with him through the African Queer Youth Initiative.
1: I'm 30 years old.
0: You're
2: thirty. Yes. Wow. African youth. I thought everyone was gonna be eighteen. Are you
0: serious?
2: (laughs) Christian is bisexual and he lives in Burundi,
0: where you can be imprisoned and fined for same-sex relationships. He works for Molly, an organisation which advocates for more inclusive societies, working in Burundi, Rwanda, Congo and the Democratic Republic of Congo. We asked
2: Christian if he wanted to remain anonymous, but he said no. Here he is talking about Africa's
0: bisexual ancestry.
1: There is this um, Western agenda. There's this Western agenda portrayed by um, portrayed by um, people working in the government. But I personally don't believe that this is something uh, belonging to the to, to the West, because if you have to to check history, we found queer yeah, people in uh, in Africa. Let's even talk about um, King uh, the, the Ugandan King. What's his name again? Um,
2: None of us could remember, so we googled it. His name was King Mwanga II. The second.
1: Exactly. That's yes. So you see. Yeah. He, 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 he was a king. And <laughs> a whole king. <laughs> you know? And he was an African.
0: He was King Mwanga II came to the throne in 1884, and he was an openly bisexual king. Yes, by which we mean, because obviously he wouldn't have called himself
2: bisexual, that he kept many male lovers and many, many female wives. (laughs) Sixteen, to be precise. Henry VIII, eat your heart out. (laughs) And even before King Mwanga II, there lived another queer monarch, Queen Jinga of Angola, who dressed in full male clothing as a king and kept a harem of young men dressed as women. Queen Ginger's rule began in 1583, which is incidentally not that long after our old mate the VIII passed England's first buggery act. What is
0: this country on? It's embarrassing. Honestly.
2: But to be fair, Britain does actually have a lot of queer monarchs in our history. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. There's Edward the Second, James the Sixth of England and first of Scotland, Richard the Second, Queen Anne. I seen on the favourite. She was great in that. Thoroughly deserved the Oscar.
2: <laughs> and we know we know most of that lot because of Shakespeare, who was another
0: big old queer. Maybe even bisexual, mm. married, little lover boy, dark lady. Mm. I- Mm. But the common denominator of all these people is that they're also rich and powerful. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Shakespeare was rich. He was a playwright. Are any playwrights <laughs> rich? We certainly aren't. <laughs> but the point is, they can sort of make their own rules. Like most of them are monarchs. You can't really get oppressed monarch. No, you can get a repressed monarch, but you
2: can't get an oppressed monarch.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. But it's, it's, it's hard to look back in time and see what life was like for your everyday queer. Well, El?
2: You should ask Prof Precht because that was exactly what he set out to do in Zimbabwe.
0: Now, the reason that we came across Oprecht's work was thanks to an article he wrote called Bisexuality and the Politics of Normal in African Ethnography. Though Oprecht's keen to remind us...
4: Or I guess you would say bisexual. Of course, they didn't use that term at the time.
0: Aprecht started his research by consulting the colonial records and came across a phenomena called mine marriages in sub-Saharan Africa during the colonial
2: period. Men would be taken from their villages and put to work in mines.
4: I started in Zimbabwe, but due to the nature of the kind of the racial capitalist system, you know, African men wandered all over the region searching for jobs. Right, and so. Um, People would come from far and away to pass through Zimbabwe, then called southern Rhodesia, to get to the big mines in South Africa where actually wages were better and um, in some ways conditions were better.
0: This industrialist drive meant that rural communities were split along gendered lines.
4: The women were supposed to stay behind in their villages and the children. That way the colonial regime didn't have to build schools or hospitals. It could just take the men House them in these gigantic uh, uh, single-sex um, hostels, and uh, and it's a cost-effective way to get male labor.
2: But after a while, the colonial officials began to notice that while away from their wives, the men were making their own domestic and sexual arrangements amongst themselves.
4: And so I um, I started uncovering cases of. Uh, African men and boys, uh, or boys and boys sometimes, or men and men sometimes, um, engaged in uh, in sexual uh, relationships, you know, right from the get-go of the colonial period.
0: Aprecht noticed that most historians believed these men were turning to these homosexual relationships out of necessity, but Aprecht wasn't so sure.
4: It had been noted before as a kind of footnote, you know, some men did this because they're in the male-male uh, work environment and they had no choice, right? That was the language. No choice. They couldn't wank. (laughs) Definitely not. They had to fuck a boy, right? Okay, wait a second. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, But when you you go to the record, you find, "Ah, actually, you know, these were consenting uh, relationships and sometimes the women were there actually, just down the road in a little, you know, makeshift informal housing. And so the men were choosing to have male partners rather than Uh, you know uh, these uh, women who were in the surrounding you know huts that they had to set up so informal communities were there and uh, my thinking is okay the men weren't forced they obviously chose to do this and at the end of the day when they finished their work they went home to their wives and and children
0: which is why a named his article bisexuality and the politics of normal right because as he sees it
2: the mine wives and the village wives don't necessarily cancel each other out. Yeah, like, why would they? I really want to see the rom-com where the mine wife meets the village wife. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, then the, and then the mine wife and the village wife fall in love. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, like, the village wives were partial to a little bit of hanky-panky. Like, while they were waiting for their husbands, they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs.
4: I guess the other side of it, too, is so the men being away... Uh, for these long periods, and, you know, so they call them Migrant Labour Reserves. So, uh, the rural area, sometimes 80% of the male population was gone, except little boys and old old men. Mm. The working age population was all gone. And the assumption was, you know, the ladies stayed behind and, and behaved themselves uh, perfectly, uh, chastely. But, um, you know, more and more evidence comes out that not necessarily, right? And that uh, people had a different, different understanding of what Sex is.
2: Yes, because lesbian sex doesn't exist.
4: When that was first explained to me, I thought, well, wait a sec, how can you, you know, you're rubbing genitals together and results in orgasm and that's not sex?
2: It's important to note that while these rural communities might tend to be more accepting of queer behaviour than, say, a Mugabe government they
0: still held traditional values about the family and sex. Yeah, sex is still seen as a means of procreation. So any sexual act that isn't penetrative and heterosexual is not really sex.
4: So I, I personally, I had a hard time understanding that. But then uh, Bill Clinton sort of put that in in uh, light for me when I don't know if you know the case where he said uh, yeah. all isn't sex, right? So, right, I see you, your mind can play all kinds of... Uh, games and compartmentalization. So that, that's come out in other research.
0: People don't make these distinctions because of ignorance. They make them because they only want to see one side of the story. See a Prex example, the Monica Lewinsky scandal. We didn't
1: have sex,
4: Linda.
3: Well, what do you call it? We fooled around. Oh. Sex? I
4: don't know.
3: I think if you, go to, if you get to orgasm, that's having sex.
4: No, it's
1: not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's having not having sex is having intercourse.
2: That was Lewinsky talking to Linda Tripp, who was an American civil servant at the time, who secretly recorded conversations with Lewinsky.
4: But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky.
0: Honestly, what did they think they were doing? It's basically the plot of Love Actually, gone terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> I'm definitely oh. Team Lewinsky.
2: Oh yeah. I mean only incels are on Team Clinton. I mean, I would fuck the president. I know you would. I know. <laughs> but we're digressing. Yes.
0: The point is that during his research, Eprecht found evidence that these bisexual relationships, like these mine marriages and their wives back home, were often consensual and meaningful. They weren't forced on people, like Mugabe might say.
2: Which is great, but you know, the same-sex relations are still sort of hidden and coded. Like, in a mind marriage, two men take on heterosexual roles. There's a wife figure and a husband figure, and the wife was expected to be at the bottom, to be
0: penetrated, and, like, gets given gifts. Yeah, in fact, a prec told us that sometimes the mine wife would take his mine husband to court and be like, he's not looking after me properly. So, Mugabe died in 2019, but the colonial legacy of homophobia lives on in many parts of Africa. In Burundi, for example, where Christian lives, the government passed its first anti-LGBT legislation in 2009. We wanted to know what it's like being bisexual there,
2: now.
1: I mean, I, I, I always knew I was a little bit different.
2: Given the anti-LGBT laws in Burundi, I think we're prepared for our conversation with Christian to be pretty sobering.
0: Yeah, but he has this remarkable capacity to find humour in very dark situations.
2: Are you... Are you Christian, Christian? (laughs) Sorry? Are you Christian? Yes. Could you tell us a bit about your relationship with religion?
1: So... (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's funny we're asking all
1: the hard questions today no 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 it's funny because I am I'm a fervent uh, um, religious I I do believe in in God yeah and um, one time I think three years ago it was at Easter so I went to to church (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! This is so funny. <laughs> so, I went, so I went to church. It was in 2018. I went to church. I was late, and there was no places like in the works. So I had to walk in, right in, like in the front, you know. <laughs> and the priest, he was literally talking about homosexuality as a as a as a scene as something people should denounce as oh, I was like no, no 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 I was like no why and at that time we had I mean we had so many um, so many cases in the Vatican about pedophilia about you know it was like why did he choose to talk about these at this specific moment?
3: Yeah.
1: You know Why did he uh, choose to talk about pedophilia in the, in Vatican, for example, you know, but he was talking about homosexuality. I was like, no, no, no. And the thing is I couldn't um, raise my hand. So I prefer to Stand up and just walk away, and that that was my last time in church.
2: One thing I really regret is that we never asked Christian why he
0: found the story so funny. <laughs> yes, I think I think by the time that we were at like sin and paedophilia and the literal Vatican, we'd completely forgotten. Yeah, we'd I completely set up forgotten. the whole thing as a gag.
2: <laughs> Maybe he was giggling. I see. I think he was giggling because he knew he had a really good story to tell. Yeah. By good, I mean. Terrible, very dark
1: I mean it, it was how can I put it it was surreal so I just wanted to talk to to that to that priest but I couldn't talk to him and I was like no I, I can I can't I, I can stay here let me just go
4: yeah yeah yeah
1: let me just go because there is so much work to do in our community there is so much going on and there is, people need to know, um, people need to know, people need to understand, people need to to be more inclusive, you know.
2: So Christian practices his religion at home now and actually he doesn't seem that mad about it. He actually has the attitude of someone who's, who's gone through a breakup and come out the other side thinking, well, if you can't handle all of me, you don't deserve any of me.
0: Yeah. At first, it seemed like Christian had an almost superpower resistance to homophobia. But the more we talked, we realised that what he actually has is a superpower queer community.
1: Uh, it's called uh, Remoroka Centre. And Muruka is it's a Kirundi name for release. On Fridays we, ha- we we get together, we have a specific topic to talk about um, and we share our experience about that specific topic.
2: And a loving family.
0: And mm-hmm. Are you out to your family, for example?
1: So, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I didn't hide myself. I used to to bring my friends home <laughs> home and you know in the morning we are, we are we're taking breakfast and you know they they see another person and I'm like, ah, this is my new friend, his name is you know, yeah, but definitely they they they, they know i didn't have to tell them that I was, you know, that I was uh, bisexual, but yeah, they they, they know, they know, and thank God they are so amazing, they are so understanding, they're like, uh, we know it's hard, they uh, please be safe, yeah.
2: Does that is that a um, a very rare experience in Burundi, or do you know a few people that is
1: Yes. Worth? Yes. I think it's called Privilege.
0: This episode, we've been digging deeper into why bisexuality is so hard to find in history. We've heard of Christian missionaries who tried to erase it entirely. We've heard from politicians who just outright deny its existence. And we've heard of people who live quietly queer lives in hostile places. And we're going to leave you today with a story about a people who are celebrated in their communities, in part because of their capacity for sexual fluidity. Praise be. Here's Mark Aprecht talking about the traditional healers of Southern Africa
2: called Sangomas.
4: I don't know if you've heard the expression coming from North American native culture, two-spirited. It's kind of like that, you know, where you have, say, in my case, a male body, but a female ancestor inhabits my body from time to time.
2: Sangomas are hugely respected practitioners of traditional African medicine. And that practice is incredibly holistic. It's not like we have. It's not like going to a foot doctor for your foot. It's like it's like going to one person for all your illnesses, be that in your body,
0: spirit or mind. They even lead death and birth rituals. It's a very high-pressure job. A Sangoma's training is incredibly rigorous and challenging, and a huge part of it is about opening yourself to a wisdom beyond your years, beyond your one life, by communing with your ancestors.
3: When this happens, I change. I become so strong.
2: This is Sharon D. Clark, reading an extract from Kunze Kabinde's 2008 book, Black Bull, My Ancestors and Me. My life as a lesbian sangoma.
3: I have more power when Inkozi is in me, especially when we both desire the same woman.
0: Kunzi's strongest ancestral connection was with their uncle and namesake Kunzi, also known as Black Bull. When Black Bull inhabited them, Kunzi was allowed, even expected, to sleep with women to satisfy him.
3: He takes control of my body and even the sounds I make are different. The woman I am with will tell me, your eyes are changing. Women I have slept with say my eyes become red or green and I become so wild and strong. Women tell me my body becomes very heavy and when I come, my partner will say, in that moment, you were not yourself. What was happening? I will make a sound like a lion roaring. That is how I know that Nkosi is satisfied.
2: Kunzi later came out as a lesbian, but their story has stuck with us because the very nature and purpose of a Sangoma within their community is to be fluid is to be capable of
0: transformation. And in communicating with their ancestors in this way, not only does a Sangoma collapse the boundaries of sexuality, but they collapse the distance between generations. They collapse the distance of time. And in doing so, they open up potential realms of queerness stretching way back in time, before Christian, before Mugabe, before mine marriages, before the colonisation of the continent. Proving that sexual fluidity has not only been around forever, but has
2: enjoyed the glow of respect.
3: I feel my sexuality was with me from birth. It is not from my ancestors, but my ancestors supported me. When I was a child, I didn't have a choice about things like wearing a dress. But as I grew up, I knew I must express the feelings that were inside me and do what was right for me. My ancestors helped me to become who I was. They guided me knowing that i was going to grow up being the way i am my sexuality is from childhood next
0: time on life of bye
3: imagine finding out your soulmate is sneaking out and having sex with other
1: men but speaking of, you know as a black man and in the black community there there is a lot of pressure a lot of pressure to conform.
3: It's so like, why do I have to label myself? Okay. Why do I have to put a label on myself
1: to make you comfortable? It's like for for guys, if you've had enough sexual experience with a guy, you're gay. Point blank. That's it. That's it. Close the door.
3: Close the door. Okay, I don't want to be comfortable. I just wanna know what it is. And it and it
1: I just wanna say and it ain't over
3: till the bisexual spirit